Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today on the show, we are going to talk a little about nitrogen stabilizers, how to prevent nitrogen loss, and, well, probably a number of other things to go along with nitrogen. It's one of the most important nutrients that's out there for our crops, and it is incredibly important to apply it the right way, utilize it the right way, because there is a lot of risk when it comes to environmental issues with nitrogen. If you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, get a question like this fairly often. It's a great one. This comes from Will down in Alabama. He said, hey, guys, I've heard you talk about using products like 103040 in a 2 by 2 system. We've done that for years, and we've also been told that, that comparing that to spreading dry in a broadcast, that we can reduce our fertilizer rate maybe even by half. Example is if your soil samples are calling for 100 units of phosphate, you could probably get by with 50 units using 103400 in a 2x2. Two two. What experience have you got with this? Okay, well, the first thing to understand is the crop is going to remove the same amount, 200 bushel corn broadcast versus 200 bushel corn banded. All right, crop removal is the same. Okay, so what we're talking about is a reduction in P and K, and we've kind of proven out about 33% roughly. 50% I think is a little too far. But you can get by using less. But here's the thing. Were you shorting yourself already with your broadcast rate? So just to make a blanket statement that, oh, we're going to now cut our fertilizer rate by a third, I'm not a believer in that. I am a believer in you can use less fertilizer in the band, in the short term at least, if you're just feeding that plant and it's all going to be fine. But you got to be a little careful about how low you go. Anyway, with 2 by 2 application and 103040, if we're talking 150, 200 bushel corn, something like that, probably, you're probably okay. But don't forget, when you ban fertilizer, if you concentrate that fertilizer all in one spot, you've really got a hot spot there. And if it's something like phosphorus, it barely moves in soil. So it's pretty much going to stay there. Where I'm going with this is, it was probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, we put some dirt in a, a container and had plexiglass on one side. It might even been actual glass. But anyway, the point is you could see through it. So we put concentrate a concentration of 103040 just like we kind of would with a 2 by 2 placement and what we found is the when the roots the roots did find that fertilizer but when they hit it they burned off so my point is sure you can put 103040 in a 2 by 2 but let's not forget that's a high salt fertilizer now that you've got it in an extreme concentration in one spot if a root hits that and that root is not big enough to handle it and you don't have a whole bunch of moisture along with it between the salt and just the fertilizer itself, you might burn that root off and kill it. So if you're going to do all your your pea needs, all your phosphorus needs, and you need a lot, and you're going to put them all on one side of the row, two by two, no way. Nope. 
that is not going to work. And that's why a lot of the, the guys going for higher yields, they're now going two by two on both sides of the row and they're, they're strip tilling and they're putting some fertilizer in furrow. So the point is the more fertilizer you get, the more you got to spread that out. Okay. So I'll leave it at that. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this from Glenn and he sent a summary of his soil data. And I think this is great. He was looking in the Ag PhD Insider magazine and look at, looked at what we were kind of shooting for and then compared what his soil levels were at. He said, guys, I would appreciate some fertility direction and comments on my soils. He's in Northeast Montana. Okay. So first of all, high pH, 7.8 to 8 for pH. The next thing that we see that's much, much more alarming than just the fact that the uh, the pH is high is high sodium. He's 8.4 to 9.8% sodium. I got to be honest, I'm surprised you're able to get anything to grow in that. And I'm dead serious. We need that sodium level down below one, which tells me you got to put tile in the ground. And I, I'm, I, I'm just being upfront with you. If it was me and I said, look, I'm not going to tile, I would do everything I can to as quickly as possible sell that ground because you're, that ground is on its way to being dead. So tile, you got to do it. Or And again, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm probably way too blunt about stuff, but I'm just being honest with you. If I owned that ground today, I'd be trying to sell it tomorrow if I decided I don't want to put spend the money and put tile on the ground. Okay. So that's what I would do with that ground. I'd sell it or I put tile on the ground and the tile is going to over time fix some of your issues there. Now, beyond that, I would just say, you know, you got to continue to fertilize. It looks like you're uh, right at the low end level of where we like to see our phosphorus and potassium and things like that. So he's right around 4% base saturation K. Um, it, the P1 is around 20, 25, but P2 is close to 100. So, I mean, there's a fair amount of phosphorus in that soil. Uh, other than that, I don't see anything that's terribly alarming. But the sodium absolutely is. All right, Brian, got this from SS who said uh, you're talking about compaction. I've got a very compacted high clay soil where I'm doing my gardening. It feels like I'm digging through concrete, but tilling with a heavy layer of manure seems to be helping me out quite a bit. After that, the, the manure and the soil seem to minimize that compaction. Is it the same experience for you in full-scale crop fields? Between that, tillage and manure, they're able to get a little more tilth into the soil. Well, yeah, and you don't even have to necessarily have the tillage. You can go no-till, but you want to do everything you can to increase soil organic matter, and having manure in there definitely will help increase soil organic matter. So, yes, we think those are good things. I don't care if it's a garden or if it's a full-scale field. Manure, we like it in moderation. We're going to talk about nitrogen on today's show, and we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front. Offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The only innovation that matters 
is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. All right. There are a few topics that when we bring them up, people get pretty excited about. Wow, they're talking about this today, and nitrogen is one of them. We get a lot of questions about exactly how to manage this piece of your crop inputs. It is an important one. So on today's show, we're going to talk about nitrogen stabilizers and timing and different things you can do to get the most out of your nitrogen and do the best job you can environmentally, too. We want to make money out there, but we also want to be able to farm long-term, so we want to do the right things. We've got Jeff Moon with us right now with Corteva to talk a little about nitrogen, nitrogen stabilizers. Jeff, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for, thanks for having me. We get so many questions about nitrogen, and a lot of them come from corn growers and wheat farmers, but certainly there are other crops as well that are impacted. So talk to us a little bit about nitrogen and, and just where you begin this conversation. Well, I think you hit it on the head when you first started the conversation. Nitrogen is a, a really important piece of, well, let's talk about corn, corn production. It's one of the, one of the more expensive inputs that a grower is going to have every year. And it's also one of the toughest nutrients to manage because it, it likes to move. It doesn't want to stay where you put it. And so when you kind of add all those pieces together, you can see why it's a, why it's a hot topic uh, for you and other growers that are out there. Well, I think there's two pieces to the conversation. Well, there's several, but two big ones that farmers will say is, all right, I'm shooting for this yield goal. How much do I really need to put out there? And then the second part is, how do I do it safely? Do I split it up into multiple <laughs> apps? Do I mix something with it? Uh, what form of end do I use? Those kinds of things. So when it comes to figuring out exactly how much to use, do you feel like growers have a pretty decent idea about that? I think we've gotten better at that, but you know, everyone, you know, they, they want to plan for a, a good crop. And I, I think you have to go into every season planning for a good crop. You don't go in kind of holding the reins back. You go in thinking, I'm going to do the best that I can. I want to get the best return that I can. And so you have to plan for that. And, you know, we can, we can take some nitrogen credits because we know there's some nitrogen left over in the soils there. And then wherever you're at in the country, 
you know, there are some guidelines uh, that either universities put together or a crop advisor that you're working with has when it comes to the nitrogen form that you should use and, and how much you should use. And I think that's a good place to start. And then it's, it's a matter of preference as to what kind of product you want to use, what form of nitrogen you want to use, and when you want to put it out. In Minnesota, where I'm at, we do a lot of fall application of anhydrous yet, but we have seen those anhydrous numbers drop and urea numbers really increase with spring application of urea. Uh, we don't see quite as much liquid fertilizer up here as you might see in other parts of the country. So it's a little bit of what, what history and, and, and what, well, I hate to use the word tradition, but, but what goes on in your area as far as what products people are going to recommend and, and when they're going to put them on. But we've made a lot of strides in just putting out a lot of nitrogen at one time of the year to maybe multiple applications and certainly using then other products to help us get the most out of our nitrogen. And in our lineup, that would be products like Instinct or Enserve, and there's others out there as well. You know, you mentioned uh, just to begin with, everybody goes into it with a pretty optimistic, rosy picture of, you know, I raised 200 bushel corn one time. I think I'll do it <laughs> everywhere this year. And I think realistic yield goals is one. And the other piece that I think needs to, to get plenty of, and it does get a lot of play, but I think there's still farmers that haven't bought in, is variable rate fertility. I certainly know across our fields, we'll have areas that'll hit 300 on a regular basis. We'll have other areas that getting 200 is a major win, well, there's no way in the world that it makes sense to put the same amount of fertility in both those spots. Correct. And, and I think with technology advancing like it has, we have the ability to manipulate that into our favor. We still might send, spend the same amount of dollars out there. We're just going to put them where we can get the, the best return on it. And, and again, technology and, and our mapping and the data that we collect from our, uh, you know, our, our, uh, yield monitors and, and uh, soil testing and things of that nature can all feed together and help us decide, you know, how we should treat that field or how we should treat those grids once we get out there. You're exactly right. Brandon, I get a chance to look at soil tests from all over. Goodness, we were just talking about soil tests from northeast Montana here a minute ago, and I was thinking about how, how different that area was from here, but they have very heavy soils, and I know we work with growers that have really light soils, too, that just can't hold much nitrogen. When you, when you get those questions about, okay, I've got some sandy spots in my field, but I also have some heavy ground, and I'm interested in using a stabilizer because I want to put out a pretty decent rate at this time. It, it's a tricky question. How how do stabilizers like Instinct work, and what should a farmer really count on getting by using a nitrogen stabilizer? Sure. So what stabilizers like Instinct or Enserve, they're, they have the same active ingredient in them. Uh, but how they work is they, they inhibit some bacteria that are in the soil that are part of the nitrogen cycle. And when you put your nitrogen out there, it's in the ammonium form, and it, it quickly changes into the nitrate form, which isn't bad. Corn plants like to use both ammonium and nitrate, but nitrate is vulnerable to loss. And so we would prefer to keep it in that ammonium form longer, and that's what products like Enserve and Instinct can do. Uh, we're more apt to see uh, nitrogen leaching through lighter soils, and we're more apt to see uh, denitrification and, and nitrogen escaping up into the atmosphere in the heavier soils. And so we can lose nitrogen in both situations, but it's good to know what you've got out there and where your vulnerabilities are. Um, and, and again, protecting it and, and keeping it in that ammonium form, which is a stable form, it's, it, it's more apt to stay where we put it 
that's the whole goal behind using products like in and servant instinct. I like that the conversation in in many of our recent shows has been about the timing of, well, when does my crop actually need it? Because I think, especially in the case of nitrogen, it's so important to think about, all right, when do I need this in? And I had a grower say, well, I want a corn hybrid that's going to use all of its N up before tassel. <laughs> and I said, I wish there was a corn hybrid that existed like that, but we, we kind of need some nutrients late in the season here. So when we're putting on that that late season application, the, the side dress, the wide drop, those types of things can can we tie up that nitrogen too long by inhibiting those bacteria or is there really no problem with using a stabilizer at any point in the season so i'm gonna i'm gonna key on that word you use tie up so we're not going to tie up the nitrogen it's always there it's always available for the corn plant to grab it's just whether it's in that ammonium form or that nitrate form but you're right corn doesn't need a whole lot of nitrogen early in the season it really needs it later in the season and, and if we could you know, go over that field multiple times and even multiple times later in the season, that would be ideal to kind of spoon feed that crop, but it's not practical from an economic standpoint. And we could also cause some damage to the crop going over and over and over it again. And so uh, using products like Instinct and Enserve, we think about them being used more in the, in the fall or in those spring applications. We do see some people use them at side dress time, and that's, that's about as late as we're going to go with those. Um, if you think about it, you know, that, that nitrogen is going to be used much more quickly, if you will, later in the season. It doesn't have to stay out there as long. It's not going to be exposed to the elements and be as vulnerable for as long as something that you put out earlier in the spring. So I don't know if that helps answer your question or not, uh, Darren. Well, I sure think so. And the, the point is we aren't tying up nitrogen. All we're doing Correct. is inhibiting some bacteria out there so the plant can always grab that in, regardless of if you're using a stabilizer or not. It's never going to hurt you on that on that front. Correct. You Correct. know, and, and this year with nitrogen and pricing and, and, gosh, all the energy things we're going through right now, there's a lot of nitrogen questions. But I think this is one, too, with nitrogen stabilizers going into this season. we got to be smart. we got a chance to actually make some money on this crop. We've got a good corn price. We've got a chance for, for high yields right now. we got to do everything we can to make sure we've got a good amount of nitrogen there when our crop needs it. Uh, it, it, well said. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. There's a there's a good opportunity for us here this year, and and uh, you know again that optimism comes through as we get closer to spring. Although it's been hard to think about here for for you and me the last few days. With <laughs> yeah, it's been a little through, cold. <laughs> it has been, but spring's going to come here, and uh, people are going to fertilize. They're going to put the crop in the ground, and and we want to make sure that we're planning appropriately and and managing our nutrients as best we can. You know, one thing we don't I didn't mention is that. I hear you guys talk about, you know, uh, nutrient ratios, and if we're low on something that might bother us, taking up another nutrient that's out there kind of throws everything out of balance, and and we want to make sure that we have enough nitrogen out there so that corn plant can do all the things it's supposed to do. It's important for chlorophyll. It's important for protein development. It, it's important in standability and the ability to fight off disease. Those are all things we need to make sure we got nitrogen out there for. Yeah, we definitely don't want to run short of end. Jeff Moon with Corteva. Thank you so much, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side. 
so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough5AC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough5AC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough5AC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough5AC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about nitrogen today. Always a hot topic and certainly one of those things that if you get this part of your crop input plan perfect, you can really maximize yield and profitability. It's super important. Real happy to have Trent Roberts with us right now with University of Arkansas. He's a soil fertility specialist down there. Trent, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, thinking about me and having me on the show today. All right, we're talking about nitrogen and nitrogen stabilizers, and I know you've you've done quite a bit of work on this. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the work that you've done and, and what are some key findings that farmers should know about? Well, so the majority of the work that I've done has focused on urease inhibitors and nitrification inhibitors. So down here in the south, we rely heavily on urea uh, dry granular urea and then UAN uh, for the majority of our rice, uh, corn, and cotton needs. And with urea, you know, our primary loss mechanism or concern is going to be ammonia volatilization loss. 
And so we have focused a lot on, you know, when, where, and the best way to use uh, urease inhibitors to help prevent uh, that ammonia volatilization loss. Because in our soils, you know, with the temperatures and high soil pH, we can lose as much as 20 to 30 percent of the nitrogen we apply via that loss pathway. So, you know, what we try to do is focus on, you know, finding reliable products and application rates that are going to help protect that urea till we can get it incorporated either with uh, rainfall or irrigation. You know, it's it's interesting, and, and we start thinking about all the different forms of nitrogen that farmers will use. So often I hear farmers say, well, a pound of nitrogen is a pound of nitrogen, and this one costs this many cents a unit, this one costs this many cents. But there is a lot more to this equation. You mentioned the volatilization loss. Can you talk to us about how big a uh, a difference there is between the sources of N that farmers choose and their risk for volatilization? Well, so when we think about that particular loss pathway, ammonia volatilization, it's really just urea-based fertilizers that we have to be concerned with. Um, so we have ammonium-based fertilizers, um, and then we have urea-based fertilizers. So when urea gets hydrolyzed or converted from an organic form to an inorganic form, it generally creates ammonia gas or ammonium. Ammonium sulfate is already in that form. And so, you know, typically we think of urea-based fertilizers uh, being very prone to ammonia volatilization loss, which is driven by environmental conditions, you know, soil pH, those, those types of factors. Um, when you start looking at other nitrogen fertilizer sources, um, you know, you're, you're not necessarily concerned with ammonia volatilization as much as, you know, what those other potential loss mechanisms are going to be. And so, you know, typically what I try to remind people is, you know, nitrogen source is important because if you think about loss pathways um, for ammonium in particular, there's a lot less loss pathways for ammonium than there are for nitrate. And so anything we can do to apply our fertilizers as ammonium and keep them in the ammonium form, we're going to extend, you know, their persistence or their residence time in the soil, which make them more prone for, you know, plant uptake. Whereas when you think about nitrate, you know, I always try to tell my students, nitrate's just one step from leaving. And so whether that's denitrification or leaching or some other loss mechanism, um, so to me, source is very important and we need to put more emphasis on that. Yeah, I like that. That's a great, that's a great comment. Nitrate's just one step from leaving. And, you know, you think about that, if we've got urease inhibitors and a lot of farmers will ask us these questions, all right, I've got these urease inhibitors I could buy. Are they worth the money and how well do they work? So what, what I tell our producers is it, it's, it's a field specific situation. And to me, what it really comes down to are one, you know, what's your soil pH? And then two, how long is it going to take you to get that urea incorporated? So when we're talking about surface broadcast urea, you know, the majority of the time when we apply it, it's going to be very prone to that particular loss mechanism. And so, you know, if, if you're able to get it incorporated within a day or two, you're probably not going to get a big benefit from a urease inhibitor, but I hate to tell people this, but I'm, I'm more right on the weather than the weathermen most of the time. And so the thing is, we really just don't know. 
And so I hate to boil it down to, you know, super simplistic terms, but urease inhibitors to me are cheap insurance because what they do is they provide you a level of protection that, that you can pretty much guarantee until your irrigation or your precipitation event comes. And what I always try to tell people about specific products is it really comes down to active ingredient. So I try to tell people, think of it like a herbicide. You've got a bunch of different options. What it really comes down to is, you know, what's the concentration of the active ingredient? And that tells you the application rate per ton of urea that you need to apply in order to be effective. Trent, you mentioned soil pH a few times here. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about how that changes things, and then what specific pH levels should we be be concerned about? Yeah, so typically when we think about urea hydrolysis, we're going from an organic form to an inorganic form, and the intermediary there is ammonia, which is a gas. And the soil pH really dictates um, whether or not that ammonia captures a hydrogen and converts to ammonium, which is not a gas, um, or whether it floats off into the atmosphere. So when your soil pH is, you know, seven or below or six and a half and below, we tend to have an abundance of hydrogen ions. And so during that uh, urea hydrolysis process, the ammonia captures a hydrogen ion and then remains in the soil. But if we have, you know, high pH above seven or more basic conditions, then that ammonia is less likely to have a hydrogen available to grab onto. So it actually promotes more of that ammonia volatilizing or gassing off. You know, every time I hear conversations like this, Trent, I think, gosh, I should have paid even more attention in chemistry classes in college <laughs> and in high school. But no, I, I see exactly what you mean. You've got NH3 or ammonia. And if we can catch one more hydrogen with a lower pH soil, we now have ammonium and we can keep that nitrogen around longer. Exactly. Yep. And so, you know, just small things like that play, play a big role in your loss potential. Um, and, you know, one thing that we've found here that, that really exacerbates or drives ammonia volatilization loss is actually how wet your soil is when you apply the urea. And, and what it is, is if you think about evaporation from the soil surface, you know, if you've got a moist soil surface and you have urea out there, as that soil moisture evaporates, it can actually drive or pull a lot of that ammonia gas out with it. So, so a dry soil, you know, application of urea to a dry soil definitely helps reduce the potential for ammonia volatilization loss. Now, you mentioned in the South that, that you got some other challenges with heat and, and just a long growing season, lots of things going on out there. I, I guess for, for us, we, we just try to time it as close as we can to when that crop's going to use it when at all possible. But what about dry conditions? We see growers trying to get out there quite a ways in front to make sure that they'll catch some moisture along the way to, to help get it into the crop. Well, yeah, and I think with anything, you know, it's it's a game that, that you have to play based on what you know and what you're willing to risk. Um, you know, some of the work that we've done here um, recently has really shown that our window of opportunity for nitrogen applications to a lot of our cereal crops is probably a lot greater um, than we want to admit. And by that, I mean... Um, you know, we're not strictly tied to this, oh, we've got to have 
you know, all of the nitrogen out before V8 on a corn crop. Um, you know, the, the window of opportunity there is much, much larger than we think. I think our biggest um, restriction is equipment. You know, sure. what do we have to actually get that nitrogen out there? And so to me, if you don't have the equipment and you're dealing with weather concerns, you know, you put it out when you feel comfortable, but you make the best decision possible. And by yeah. that, I mean, yeah, you're you're your absolutely sword. right. That that equipment limits guys quite a bit on what their yeah. choices are. We're talking with Trent Roberts here at the University of Arkansas. Trent, this was great. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay tuned. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about nitrogen on the show today, but also taking your calls and questions at 
44 Ag PhD. Okay, when it comes to nitrogen stabilizers, one of the key things to always remember is there are different kinds of stabilizers. There are some that protect you against volatilization. That's when you lay nitrogen on the soil surface and it goes up in the air. There are some that will protect you against leaching, and that's when there's water and it drives the nitrate down into somebody's water table. That's not good. And then the next form of loss is denitrification, where it gets in the ground and the ground is too wet. Now, it doesn't leach. This this occurs in heavy soils. It doesn't leach away. It, um, it converts over and ends up going back up in the air again. So there's denitrification. And I'm just trying to say, if you go, well, I'm not worried about leaching or denitrification. I'm just worried about volatilization. Well, guess what? There's some cheaper products you can buy if you just need protection against volatilization. So make sure whoever you're buying a nitrogen stabilizer from, you talk through the three forms of loss, volatilization, leaching, and denitrification. You tell them what you want to protect against, and then they can help you. There are also different forms of nitrogen stabilizers for urea versus liquid versus anhydrous versus manure. So just make sure you're getting the right product for the right situation for, you know, the nitrogen source that you are actually using. And the big question we get, quite frankly, is when are nitrogen stabilizers more likely to pay? Let me start you with this. So back when our dad was alive, and well, I should go back way further than that. So 40 years before he passed away, uh, he would say to us, well, we'll just put a little extra nitrogen on in the fall to cover any loss that we would happen to have. Okay. And, you know, back then, 40 plus years ago, it was probably not that big a deal. Because let's face it, I mean, we're going for 100 bushel corn. And if that how much nitrogen are we putting on anyway? Were we going to lose much to leaching? Probably not. He was more worried about the loss, whether it's denitrification or volatilization. But today, with much higher yield goals, and let's face it, there are some people going for 300 plus bushel corn or ridiculously high yields on wheat or you know any of these other crops where you have to put nitrogen on. We aren't in the same position that we were 40 years ago. The environment is a really big concern, and and let's face it, as farmers, we are less than 1% of the population now, so we don't have the votes. We've got to make sure that we keep all the non-farmers on board with what we're doing. We have to be careful environmentally, all right? So my point here is we should not be exceeding what our soils will hold. And our standard rule is 10 times the CEC. So if I've got a 15 cation exchange capacity, I multiply that times 10. My soil can hold roughly 150 pounds. But don't forget, there's going to probably be nitrogen in that soil already. So if there's 40 pounds already out there, that means you should only put on 110 pounds at the most. And that's only if you're relatively close before that that crop's going to use it. Oh, and by the way, you might say, well, then I can't apply any in the fall. Yes, you can. You just put it on right before freeze-up. Because let's not forget, if I apply nitrogen, let's call it um, the 20th of November here where we farm. If I apply nitrogen the 20th of November, I consider that two weeks before my corn crop will start using it. And you go, what? You're not going to plant corn in December. No, I'm not. But the ground is frozen like a rock from late November all the way sometimes until the 1st of May. And we plant right as the ground is thawing. So I'm just simply saying it's the same for me in the north. 
applying it in the fall as it would be for somebody who farms in Alabama applying it uh, in, you know, let's call it the second week of February and they want to plant the last week of February. So we got to put all these things into perspective. All right. Beyond that, nitrogen stabilizers are more likely to pay when nitrogen rates are high, when nitrogen prices are high, when nitrogen sits on top of the soil more than a couple of days, when nitrogen is applied far ahead of when it's going to be used, when the soil pH is outside the range of about 6.3 to 7.3, when temperatures are warm, in wetter years, and when you have environmental concerns. So we are real big believers in using nitrogen stabilizers. Just because you use a nitrogen stabilizer doesn't mean you can do dumb stuff like on a 5 CEC soil putting on 500 pounds of nitrogen or something like that. You still have to use a lot of common sense and the nitrogen stabilizer is going to help you a little. It's not going to help you a tremendous amount um, you know, if you're way overdoing something. And then finally, I guess I would just say let's never forget that soil is negatively charged so the purpose of the nitrogen stabilizer and the purpose of applying an ammonium source of nitrogen is to keep it in that positively charged source of ammonium and then that attaches to the negatively charged soil so then we don't have leaching that's the form of loss i'm most concerned about because let's face it if it's volatilization and it goes up in the air well most of the air we breathe in every day is nitrogen anyway so is that hurting anybody no that's no big deal what we worry about is that leaching side though and and nitrogen ending up in the groundwater and it's got to convert to nitrate first okay so if we can prevent that nitrate uh, conversion from happening with a stabilizer, that's really going to help us. All right, let's jump back to the phone lines. Got Rob with us right now down in Nebraska. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. What can we do for you? I've got a question. I've got a, a uh, caliche soil that's high pH, and we've never applied manure uh, or anything. Is there a permanent way to fix my high pH caliche soil so that it won't? Uh, cost me so much on nitrogen. Okay, so what you're saying is because the pH is high, you believe it's taking more nitrogen to produce as many bushels. Is that what you're saying to us? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and it ties up the nitrogen and turns the plants yellow midway through the season. Sure. So we just have to look at what can we do to drop that pH down and to make that soil, let's, let's just call it a better soil, all right? So whether it's getting manure out there, improving the drainage, adding more sulfur, um, using some cover crops when it would happen to fit, reducing tillage, all those kind of things over time will help you to build more topsoil. They'll help you to build your overall soil profile, get more microbial life going there, and then eventually that pH will start to come down. You also have to look at what are your other nutrient imbalances. Maybe your potassium is is low. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, some something else. I mean, there's something else going on out there potentially. So I'd really look at my soil tests. I'd also say this. In a lot of those kind of soils, we see rolling hills and we go, hey, we got to make sure that we're using small zones or small grids and truly addressing the areas that need the help and then not wasting the money on the other areas that don't necessarily need the help. So yeah, there are a number of different things that can be done there and you can 
improve that soil and hopefully you'll end up getting better utilization. But we do talk an awful lot about the amount of sulfur out there. So in soils like yours, generally speaking, it's apply nitrogen, but apply sulfur along with it. So anyway, do you have any other specific questions? Anything else we can help you with with that? No, no, I think you've helped me a lot. You kind of confirmed what I was thinking already, so I think that's Right on. Okay. Uh, and if you want to send us your soil test at any point, please do. Do you have rolling hills? Yes. Right. And that's, yep. that's where the, we call it mag, mag rock, but it's actually yep. collegiate. That's where yep. it's located, yes. Yes. And so uh, what size zones or grids are you using right now for soil sampling? Uh, to be honest, I've been renting my, my property out, and I was just going to get started farming again. So I want to... Okay. I don't know what would you recommend, like 10-foot grids or something? Well, I, I mean, usually we're talking, most people will go five-acre grids, and we would just okay. suggest getting it down to maybe one or two-acre grids or zones so you can identify those areas that have the real problem. And that's all I was getting at, because in those kind of rolling hills, we see vast differences from the hilltops to the side hills to the valleys. So we just have to make sure we're sampling them separately, and then we can head down the right path and spend our money wisely instead of throwing money out where we don't need to. Yeah, amen. Okay. All right. Perfect. Well, yeah, when you get some soil tests, just send them to us, Rob. We'd appreciate that, and we'll help you out as much as we can. Thanks for the call. Yep, thank you. Yep. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf. From planting through harvest. The active ingredient, Flutriophol, moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start with first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides, available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. 
And Dad always said farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. We've been talking about nitrogen throughout the show and especially nitrogen stabilizers. Just a couple last things that I would mention when it comes to nitrogen. You got to think a lot about your particular area and what you're dealing with. So in other words, there is no one set rule like everybody in the world should all apply nitrogen in the same fashion. So let me describe this just a little bit more and I'll tell you what's going on in our area right now. As we stand today, we are in an extreme drought area. And granted, I mean, our ground's frozen solid for two feet deep. So nothing's happening today. We're not going to plant next month either. But the point is, there is not a bunch of subsoil moisture out there. And we have really heavy ground. Our average cation exchange capacity here would be in the low 20s. So that's what we would call heavy ground. And we can hold 200 plus pounds of nitrogen without a whole lot of risk. I'm not worried about leaching or anything like that with 200 pounds of nitrogen in most of our soils, okay? Especially considering we're frozen for five months out of the year. We don't get a lot of rainfall. Last year, grand total precip, all 12 months added up together was 14 inches. That's it. So, and yes, that was below normal, but I'm just saying our average is about 22 inches. It's not much. That's for 12 months, and that includes the snow. So, we don't have near the risk of loss that a lot of people would if, let's say, they had light soil, tremendous amounts of rainfall, no winter frost, things like that. Okay. Here's where I'm going with this. How we want to put our nitrogen this year is going to be a little bit different than how we might in a normal year. So because we don't have subsoil moisture and because they're predicting right now 70% chance of below normal precip this year that's not a hundred percent chance they don't know but if the odds are in favor of it being dry and it already is really dry here's what we worry about in our area specifically in these heavy soils is not getting the nitrogen out early enough so we will be earlier we will put more of our nitrogen on up front now if we're going to do that and it's going to be two months before the crop really needs it would that make sense to put on a nitrogen stabilizer along with it? Probably. But keep in mind, if I can save a trip later on, I can spend more money. And also, the way I usually look at it is, hey, if I'm putting a nitrogen stabilizer on and I was going to put 200 pounds of nitrogen on, whatever this stabilizer costs, I'm going to reduce my nitrogen by that much. Otherwise, why would I use the, the stabilizer? It's got to cut my nitrogen cost. Or it's got to save me a trip one or the other. So that's usually how I look at it. And again, this does not mean that 
no one should split apply, or even for us, we shouldn't split apply because we've got some fields where we need 300 pounds of nitrogen where we're going for big time corn yield and it's corn on corn. So to overcome that residue, all that high carbon residue, and to meet what our what we have for our yield goal, we need 300 units or more of nitrogen. Well, we're not going to put all that on in one shot. Even with low rain and heavy soil and dry soil and a stabilizer, I still don't feel super comfortable about that. So we're going to pray for rain, and we are going to put some on. It'll be early. I mean, much earlier than most people would say, oh, you got to put that last shot of nitrogen on because, again, we're in a dry area. Okay, so these are the kinds of things that you got to be thinking about all the time. Uh, and our last caller from Nebraska there, when, you know, when we're talking about different kinds of soil and what can we do to help hold nitrogen, what can we do to help make that nitrogen more available to the plant and better utilized by the plant, let's not forget about all the other nutrients. So Darren and I have done a lot of work over the years. And, I mean, here at Ag PhD, we've done all kinds of stuff. There was one year even... We did tissue tests on 650 different farms in a five-state region in the United States. 650. We had an unbelievable amount of data, and it was very eye-opening. Almost everybody had high to excessive levels of nitrogen. Almost every single farm on 650 different corn farms had high to excessive levels of nitrogen. So most people were in great shape there. You know what they were lacking? Micronutrients, potassium. The potassium number was horrible, and the micronutrient level was even worse. I believe, if I remember the number correctly, it was like 98.4% of everybody who was in this was low to deficient on one or more micronutrients. And the vast majority were low to deficient on two or more micronutrients. So here's my point. You want better utilization of all this nitrogen money you're spending. Make sure you don't forget about P and K. And sulfur is a huge one. Sulfur, because of the lack of air pollution now, and it was even worse last year because there were fewer cars running, fewer planes running, fewer everything. Plants running, I mean manufacturing plants, everything. And also, we have pretty clean air even when all that stuff is running. You know, they talk about these, uh, you know, oh, we're going to make everything green. And I'm like, um, we seem pretty green right now. We're burning biodiesel, okay? I mean, we're running soybeans through the plant, through the tractor. And they've now proven with these Tier 4 engines, the air is cleaner coming out the back than it is going in. So seems to me like we're pretty green and pretty clean as it is right now. But my point here is... Back, if you go 30, 40 years ago, we used to get all kinds of free sulfur raining down from the sky. We don't anymore. Now, there's plenty of that in China. So maybe that's why some of the Chinese farmers, their yields are starting to go up now because they're, they got all this sulfur that helps, uh, that makes your nitrogen even more, uh, it gets better utilized in the plant when you have good levels of sulfur. But anyway, take a look at the micronutrients as well, besides all these other things. So don't just get yourself focused on nitrogen, nitrogen, nitrogen. It's a bunch of other things. Follow all that other stuff and you'll find your nitrogen that you invest will be better utilized in the plant and you don't have to spend as much. Darren, anything else on nitrogen? 
No, but I got a great soil sample here to kind of illustrate some of the stuff you were just talking about. This is from Darwin down in Kansas. And when I think about it, is nitrogen the number one thing here? Or let's say he gets the nitrogen piece right. What are going to be the next limiting factors? Darwin says, please look at my soil samples. Let me know what you think I could do to improve yields. Okay. Now, I'm glad this came up because I forgot to mention this with the nitrogen piece. Very, very few fertilizer dealers and agronomists will tell you what's really going on with the nitrogen that's going to come available for free every year on your farm. Some agronomists and fertilizer dealers, in fact most, will tell you if you raised soybeans last year, well you have a soybean credit for nitrogen. Um, yeah, that's a myth. They're lying to you. There's no such thing. That's a made up term. Uh, so get that out of your head. Doesn't exist. Okay, It does not exist. Here's what does exist. And what's true and fact, the more organic matter you have in your soil, the more free nitrogen will come available on your farm each and every year. So in Darwin's case here, he's got 1.5 to 1.8% organic matter. That's not very good. I'm not saying this is a negative to him. This is, I'm not, this is no insult or anything else. It just is what it is, okay? So my point is on our farm where we've got a lot of 4 and 5% organic matter levels there, that means that for me, I'm, I can expect pretty easily 80 to 100 pounds of free nitrogen to come available every year. For him, he can probably only expect 30, maybe 40. That's about it. So in other words, he's got to put more nitrogen on every year than I do where I have more organic matter. So you can see if you want to do the best thing you can to leave the ground in better shape for the next generation who's going to farm it, You would your goal could be one of the things you could do is work on increasing your organic matter levels. All right, so for him and specifically in his farm, he's got 5.8 pH. Now, we say this all the time, but it depends on the crop you're raising. If he's going to raise corn, soybeans, wheat, those kind of crops... We usually talk 6.3 to 6.8, so we'd want to put a little bit of lime out there. This is relatively heavy soil, 18 to 20 CEC. So that's probably the most important thing. He's actually in really good shape for potassium, for magnesium. His sodium levels are fine. Um, His phosphorus levels aren't bad. Could use a little more, but it's not bad. Uh, Sulfur is running a little on the low side. So this kind of comes back to, yes, what Darren said, what we were just talking about. And besides that, he's really low on zinc. He's low on copper. He's low on boron. So if you get the sulfur, the zinc, the copper, and the boron up to levels that we would like to see, and you get the the pH in that better range, even just get it into the low sixes, you're going to find that the nitrogen you apply, Darwin, is going to be better utilized by the plant, and you won't need as much to achieve the same yield goal, or put it another way, you can put on the same amount of nitrogen, and hopefully you're getting better yields. Yeah, getting things in balance is really important. We're going to talk about that a lot when Neil Kinsey comes to town. If you've heard about Neil Kinsey and you're really interested in, in catching one of his sessions, we would love to have you join us. Go to agphd.com. Neil will be here later this month, and you can watch that whole thing virtually. So you can sign up there at agphd.com. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.